Hey everybody, my name is Alex, and you're listening to Lunchbox Radio. Thanks everybody who came to see either of my two panels at Liberty City Anime Con, since I lucked out and they approved both of them. They don't know what kind of mistakes they made. <laughs> no, actually they both went off pretty well. I was a little scared because I had some tummy troubles last time we spoke. And I didn't get to practice the first panel of the day, which was Mommy and Daddy Hates You, Bad Anime Parenting, which was basically a laundry list of some of the worst parents in anime, which I say some and not all, because all is a much longer list, as I learned, because I (laughs) didn't have a chance to practice it and iron out like the timing and all this other and all that other stuff. I had a rough idea of what I wanted to do, but I sped through what what was I thought would fit 40 minutes of content in 20 minutes. And that was fine. People had fun like going into their data banks of terrible anime parents and giving me suggestions and that's great. But I was just like, oh, no. Everything is wrong here. I should have practiced. But that'll make it better the next time I do it. Probably um, at next Liberty City Anime Con. But next year. But my second panel of the day, which was Full Metal and Beyond, an exploration of disability anime, went fantastically. It was exactly what I wanted it to be for the exact people I wanted it to be for. I apologize to the number of autistic people who are in the audience that I don't have examples of people with any kind of autism in anime because there's, quite frankly, not a whole lot out there. And of the kind of mental disability sphere of that kind of thing it's very difficult to find examples of that because most examples cross over from trying to portray it to a kind of insulting demeaning territory that isn't that isn't what I want that panel to be about so I tend to steer clear of that kind of third railness about especially mental disability but, um, or mental difference, if you want to call it. But regardless, it was really, really great. Um, everybody participated. Everybody had a great time. I hope the girl who I suggested watch that show gets to watch that show because I think she'll really enjoy it. Um, and if you're listening to this podcast, I still remember you and thank you so much for asking questions and all that stuff. And on that note, um, also thank you to everybody who listened to my episode on Iron Blood Orphans. I had originally planned that to go <laughs> 30 minutes, but it went an hour because, man, there's, there's a lot in that show. There is a lot happening in Iron Blood Orphans. Um, if you haven't checked out that show, go check it out. It's on, it is up in its entirety on Funimation dubbed It's a Good Time. But if you want to check out that episode, it is the previous episode, probably right below this one in the feed. Um, definitely give it a listen. But we are not here to talk about any of that this week. Because guess you went to the movies again yesterday night? Or by the time you're hearing this, guess you went to the movies again on Tuesday night? <laughs> That's right, boys and girls. It was me. And I went to see... The Night is Short Walk-On Girl. You're Oh, 
So, in the last couple anime movies that I have seen, there's always been a preview accompanying them of this movie, which is The Night is Short, Walk On Girl. And I had seen previews, I looked it up, just on small screens everywhere, but I it didn't really hit me exactly what... It, it, the movie was going to be until I saw an extended trailer of the movie after um, after the movie Fireworks, I think. When I went to go see Fireworks, I saw they showed a, like extended preview after the fact since both films are put out are being put out by G Kids in theaters at least, probably in in their entirety. But what that ends up meaning is that I didn't get the full grandeur of this movie until that preview because I, um, I'm not super familiar with Misaki Yuasa, who is the director of not only this movie, but he's also the director of, um, the now critically acclaimed and much-loved Devilman Crybaby adaptation for Netflix. He's also the fourth behind the probably pretty well-known now, but before Devilman Crybaby, pretty kind of cultish, cult classic-esque series. I think it's like a 12-episode show called The Tatami Galaxy. And it he has a very specific style. And he has some... He has... He, he is a creative person who has very specific points that his work hits. So, um... His character designs are lots of times done by a pretty talented illustrator by the name of Yusuke Nakamura, and Yusuke Nakamura, um, if you go look up his art, you'll notice it's a lot of album art for a band called Asian Kung Fu Generation. So, these kind of three forces combined an awful, those two things combined an awful lot in, um, in you, in Yuasa's work. And that's very true of The Night is Short, Walk On Girl, too. Um, which, that's a real, that's a real mouthful of a movie. It's just, it's a strange title for a strange movie. So, basically what this movie is, is it this, or it, it starts and ends in two different places. It starts at a wedding. And... During this wedding, you you meet two char- you, you meet a bunch of characters, but the first character you meet is this black-haired girl who, for lack of a better term, we'll call Otome. And Otome is Japanese for girl, so she'd never. She specifically is never given a name, and our main, our main quote-unquote protagonist, if you can call him that, this black-haired senpai of hers from a club, is also never given a name. But you come to find out pretty quickly that, like, senpai is obsessed with Otome, and he has... enacted this plan, which he calls, um, Operation Aho, which, if you know anything about, which, if you know something about Japanese, you know that Aho stands for, means idiot, (laughs) or dumbass, basically. It's a common joke, um, actually, you can hear it, I think, even in the dub of one of the episodes of Naruto, the original Naruto, not Shippuden, not... Naruto's kid, um, or not, not Boruto, or whatever, Boruto, but, um, 
you hear the crows go, aho, aho, in the background, and that's like Greek chorus way of saying morons, morons. Um, but, so he has this thing called Operation Aho. And Operation Aho is basically that he, he plans to put himself in front of Atome so often that she just warms up to him, ultimately. And this is, what's, what's funny about, um, Yuasa's adaptations is he writes, is he has this ability to write guys, to write male characters, especially male characters in love, in this frantic way that is... kind of uniquely true, because I, I will tell you, I have thought to myself, like, what if I figured out a way to fall, like, suspiciously badly, but not badly enough to really be hurt in front of a girl who I want, whose attention I want to get, just to make sure that they, like, notice me and like, oh, oh, you, you, you look like you fell, that looks like it hurt. Can I help you? Yes, thank you. Like, that's... That's a way that people... That not just guys, but people think about... Getting attention from other people. We, we, we have the ability to construct these, like, grand plans. Or as I like to call them, these... Stealing... These stealing the contents of the U.S. Mint using pizza grease plans. And for those of you who are in any way interested, my plan to use pizza grease to steal the contents of the United States Mint or Treasury or whichever the United States Treasury, I think it was. I came up with this when I was like 10, so buckle up. Basically, I would use probably more money than is justified ordering, like, hundreds of pizzas and sending them to the treasury. Everybody's like, oh, pizza! And then, when they're halfway through all the pizzas, that's when I would strike. And they'd be like, oh, we need to get our guns! We need to grab our phones! And then, <laughs> this is insane, I know it's insane, their hands would be so covered with pizza grease that they wouldn't be able to hold anything everything would slip out of their hands. I would just take all the money for myself. Now, that is an insane version of something like Operation Aho, where he creates these fake coincidences, where Senpai essentially creates these fake coincidences with Otome, where he constantly, like, just kind of shows up and he's like, Oh, hey, I didn't know you were going to be here. Yes, he totally did. Or, Oh, hey. Look, it's you. And they show him doing this over and over and over and over and over again. But, and I think this is really, really unique. The way that Atome's written, she is just kind of bored at this wedding. So she skips out on the wedding. And she decides to go on a tour of the adult world. And what she really means, like, about that, by that, is she decides to go on a alcohol-fueled bender throughout the night. And this takes her to a number of different, like, to a kind of cast of characters, of who in, include, um, uh, a poor, uh, an, ero an erotic ukiyo-e art collector who's just kind of a creepo who is actually the father of the bride of the wedding she was just at and you find that out um, in pretty short order and then he she encounters she, so she drinks with him for a while 
Then she is hanging out with these two kind of like vagrants, one of whom is this guy. Give me a second, I'll look up his name. But while I'm looking it up, so Misaki Yuasa has, he doesn't have a star system the way Tezuka has, but he has this, he has some reoccurring characters and some, um, what's the word? He, he, this, this movie takes place in the same, it's A, based off of the same, a novel written by the same author as the Tatami Galaxy. And he, um, the, the novel takes place in the same setting with some of the same characters. I believe it takes place in, um, Yokohama, not Yokohama, um, Kyoto College. And, um, one the character that makes you realize that it's in the same universe is this character named, um, No, uh, that's not her, not him. Um, Sitaro Higuchi. And Sitaro is this kind of, like, gourd-headed, yukata-wearing, just kind of, like, not really mischief-seeker. He's just a supporting character who is, in this show, in this movie, is just a supporting side character who is a bit eccentric in the in Tata, in the Tatami Galaxy I think he's like the god of time or something but he he the carryover from that uh, from that particular um from that particular um from that show and so she's hanging out with him and this other girl named Hanuki, who seems to be kind of just his girlfriend, and they go around drinking to a bunch of different, to like, uh, like, fancy wine party, and they go around drinking to this, and then they, like, hit up this old guy's birthday party, and when that the old guy's birthday party is interesting because they talk about the flow of time and the way the flow of time changes as you age and they demonstrate this with a really clever like thing and that thing is they all look at their watches and for all the old people in at, at the and for like the guy whose birthday is and all of his like older friends their watches are like spinning basically they're like not keeping they're not keeping the same kind of time as the rest of the world they're going really 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 fast but like otome um hanu and hanukis are going like a normal kind of slower pace but <laughs> curiously enough higut Higuchi's is going the same speed, which is um, interesting because, like I said, he is in the previous, like, in the previous entry in this universe, he is the god of time. And he is the uh, linchpin that makes that show kind of work, weirdly. Um, but th this shows... This shows you, the audience, but not Atome, the fact that, like, she has all this time, and she and she can slow down because she had the luxury of time to be able to do that. But what she ends up doing is she ends up just moving forward. And that's where we kind of get this... That's where you get the first glimpse of 
is a flaw in this kind of happy-go-lucky drinking buddy girl who is just kind of wandering through the adult world of the night in Kyoto and drinking her way through the world is that she is going forward so quickly and so... And and so regardless of everything around her, that she leaves everything in the dust, almost. Like, she, she, um, at some point she has a drink, she has a drinking competition with, um, I think his name is, like, Raiko or something? Um, but it's this old man who comes into play later, and... She she drinks with um, she drinks. They drink have a drinking competition with this kind of alcohol. This whole the whole first half of the movie is centered around alcohol. So you see a drink, a bunch of different drinks through the whole first half of the movie. But then the second half of the movie is different. But we'll get to that in a second. She drinks this drink called imitation. Donkey Brown, and it's a very specific kind of whiskey-esque imitation of a kind of whiskey-esque thing that's not really made anymore. Or if it is, it's like thousands of dollars a bottle. I mean, as it stands, the imitation stuff is already really, really, really expensive. Um, So, but when they're drinking, he espouses how kind of empty the drink makes him feel and how kind of a loss he he has and how kind of alone he is and all this other stuff. And she's like, oh, it warms my soul. And you see flowers, like, come up from her stomach and, like... So palette around her, the color palette around her warms and all this other stuff. And at that, this point is where you get the, I think you get part of the poster where like a lotus blossom blooms behind her and all this other, and it's like beautiful warm thing and you shift over to Rykan and it's just like dark doom and gloom and sadness. And if it sounds like I'm not mentioning the person who is our main character, Senpai, that's for a reason. And that's because he he follows her into the world of, into the adult world of the night, but he can't quite keep up, and curiously enough, something keeps happening to him in, like, the crotchal region. Like, at, at first... He loses his pants, and he's got to figure out how to get pants, and then he gets, like, uh, roped into dealing with the smut peddler dude that um, Otomi met at the first bar she, like, landed at. And then... And it's it's almost like he's not keeping up with Otome, but even if he's older, he can't keep up with her. Um, and he's not like he's, like, it's not like she's, like, 15 and he's 20. It's, like, probably a year difference, but still. Uh, he can't keep up with her in any way, shape, or form. And you see him at every moment just kind of just miss the boat, so to speak, of how to... Of, of, like, getting closer. Like, just when he manages to pull it off, she's gone. And so this kind of, like, these kind of shenanigans happen for a while. And then at some point, Senpai is fished up from the river after Otomi kicks, after Otomi like, what they call friendly punches him into the river because he lands in front of her and his, like, loincloth falls off and he's not wearing any pants and she's just like, pop! And he goes into the river. He's fished out by the school festival 
committee, which is like this secretive committee. This is, and this is a really funny, weird little like anime moment that's turned up to eleven. Is that he like the school, the the executive like school committee is like evil and big and like has police presence on campus and all this other stuff and like, and he finds out from them that she's looking for this book called, um, I think Ratatom. And he's like, oh, I, and he, and the head of the school festival committee says, if you want to win her heart, you need to get this book. And this specific book being sold at this book fair. So now we've set up that he is going to this book, that Senpai is going to this book fair. Otome is also going to this book fair looking for the same book. And he gets this and through a hilarious and bizarre creating competition, basically. Senpai gets the copy of Ratatom that um, Otome owned as a child. And he, like, sets up all these ways to just coincidentally present it to her as if it were, like, an active happenstance. And none of them work. But in the process, A, we are introduced to, like, the kind of... the thing that carries us through kind of the middle of the movie. This movie is like... I was in the theater from 7 o'clock to 9 o'clock. It's a full two hours. I'll be honest. It could have been an hour and a half and I would have been fine with that. Because while, while it's a lot of fun... It's a lot to take in. I mean, I've I've already been rambling for like a half hour and we're at, literally at the halfway point and I've s- cut sections out because of relevance. But you meet you met this character in the beginning of the movie who they call Don Underpants and Don Underpants is the leader apparently of this guerrilla theater troupe that puts on this guerrilla play, I forget what it's called, but basically he, um, puts on this play hoping to meet this girl that he thinks that he's fated to be with, and that goes on for a while. Otome says yes and is involved in that for a while, and Senpai comes this close to pulling it off and getting the kiss, and then he gets, like, unceremoniously, like, trapdoored away from her again. At this point is where you see, I think it's where you see the sequence where they say, hey, this is this is the real problem with not necessarily him but her it's that she's she's she is so devoted to moving forward that it's like she has blinders on she doesn't see everything around her she sees what she encounters and then if it doesn't move with her She's gone. It's back. It's back, and it's back behind her. And she doesn't look backwards. So you see this like little sequence of senpai just catching up to her in a spotlight, and then the spotlight moves with her in it. So he's constantly trying to catch up to her, but he can't. And this entire time, you feel, you like you, you start to feel for him because, and later on in the movie, they he has this internal monologue with himself where it's like it's this like great congress of versions of him being like, well, what do we like about her? We don't even know, and like they 
bring up all these things and like, that's all disgusting. We're disgusting. It's all sexual horny bullshit. Why do we like her? Maybe we don't like her. We should not like her. And you feel bad because it's like, it's very much this like first love. It's this, it's this demonstration of first love when you don't know what you like about a a girl or a guy or a guy or a girl or whatever you want. Um, a piece of French bread. Who cares? You don't know what you like about this other person or other thing. So your brain latches on to the things that everybody would latch on to, which in his case is like he likes this girl. He can't quite put his finger on why, but he latches on to like the short skirt, the lips, the like cleavage, all this other stuff that are typical guy stuff because that's what that's what there is to latch on to. It, it doesn't really mean that he's necessarily like a gross weirdo. It means that he likes a girl and that's how that comes out. And this is where, I mean, and this character, this quote-unquote character, was in the movie at other slight points, but this is where he, character shines. This is part of his internal monologue that is basically like a simplified version of Creepy Woody. If you've never seen Creepy Woody, um, I think it was SGH, one of the toy manufacturers, made this Woody, made this figma of um, Woody from Toy Story. And they get, they, figmas, lots of come with different heads and different faces the same way Nindroids do. But they gave this Woody, like, the most lecherous, most insane, most bizarre, like, perverse face that it became this meme for a long time. And you can you can go look it up. I, I encourage you to go look up Creepy Woody if you're ever bored and not at work because it's a real fucking weird time to go look up Creepy Woody memes. And it got so popular to make these memes that they, for, I don't know if it's still discontinued, but for a while they discontinued the creepy, like, Creepy Woody, the, the Woody Figma with, like, the creepy face. And he became a serious collector's item. But this movie kind of turns him in, turns Senpai's urges into this, like, wild cowboy on, like, a horse. And it's, like, it, that's his feeling of, like, instincts and romantic instincts. And it's, it's really great, weird, like, callback. I don't think I was the only person who got that in the theater because... I heard the words Creepy Woody come from not my mouth when I was in the theater. <laughs> so, I love that other people are like, oh, 2 plus 2 equals Creepy Woody on screen. Awesome. But, um, at, the, at this point in the movie, Senpai's sick. And not only is Senpai sick, but everyone is sick, except for, of course, Otome. And that's the other thing that you... And at this point, you really it really starts to drive home. Not only is Otome constantly moving forward, but she moves forward in this surreal way, where nothing bad quite happens to her, ever. She drifts in and out of, of, of all these things, but she never has any real responsibility or real repercussions for her actions. And she makes this decision, like, I'm going to go see all these people who are sick. And in your head, you're like, oh, I hope you go see... Um, I hope she goes to see Senpai. I, I really hope she goes to see Senpai. But every time she goes to another house, she doesn't. 
Uh, but also, every time she goes to another house, someone says, maybe you should go see Senpai. Maybe you should go... Maybe you should go see Senpai. People, like, give her things to take to him. And she keeps going from one house to another and not Senpai's house. She keeps going to different people and all these and you see all these characters she's met along the way but you never see the one character who was constantly with her in some way or another and that is senpai and the movie starts to drive home wow this girl can't take a hint and she has this realization at some point of, you know, I, I never really thought about that kind of, like, having a relationship in that way. Having those, like, fuzzy, like, feelings of love and affection in that way. And just when it feels like she can't avoid it anymore, when she's visiting... Ratatom slash the, um, the, the old book collector, you start to see that she start, you see that she's getting it and that she's understanding and that she, that, you know, Senpai is always, that Senpai has always been there, but I've, and I've noticed him, but I've never acknowledged him. And... I, I never stop to consider that he, that I thought that I always saw him by himself. I never saw him with other people. I never saw him. And he was always in front of me. So it always felt like, oh, this is just a thing. I never stopped to consider that it might be quote unquote fate. And this is like, like a great, moment as a human who is hopeful that things that humans do with other humans in mind affect them because his like aho plan loops back around and it creates that fate link that I don't think he was planning on creating but he couldn't have hoped to create in the wildest dreams and it's really great and it reminds me of this old story somebody told. I, I think I think I first heard it in a um on like a TV special thing, but I think I was I also heard it when I was a kid in like I definitely heard it when I was a kid. I think I heard it in a TED talk, but I definitely heard it when I was a kid in um a high school assembly in a school assembly. And that story is, there's this guy who lost his job, and he beca became clinically depressed, and he said, said to himself, I'm going to walk from my apartment down to the Golden Gate Bridge, and if one person stops and says hello to me, I'll turn around and come home. Because that means that on my way through the world, someone will have acknowledged me. Someone will have recognized me, and I will have been important enough for someone to stop and talk to. That man jumped off the Golden Gate Bridge because no one in the world stopped to talk to him, stopped to acknowledge him, stopped to consider outside of themselves. And what's... What's sad about that is it it would have just taken one person saying, Hey, good morning. 
to cha change that story entirely. But nobody did, and that is pretty true of the way people act towards each other today. I mean, I, I'm guilty of it. Everybody's guilty of it. We all go on. We we all go through the world with our heads in our phones, the earphones in our ears, and like blocking out the world around us because we've been told the world around us is some kind of is some kind of hindrance to us that it will do us harm that we know that contact with others is only good if it is expressly on our on our terms but what that what that means is there's nothing really left to chance that this movie demonstrates something that it's very difficult to have happen in America. And that is that you go out for a night of drinking by yourself and you have this grand adventure where you, like, meet people and you talk to random strangers and you float in and out of situations and you just generally have a really great, fun time. That's... That's hard to do in America. It's a lot easier to do in other countries than in other cultures where there's a more communal feel where people are more connected to each other. But in America, it's really hard. It's, it's hard if you're anybody. It's especially hard if you're just a single guy out in the universe. You are looked at as this kind of, like, threatening potential asshole. If you're a single girl, it's easier, but lots of girls don't do that because it feels dangerous, and sometimes it can be dangerous. This movie shows that, but it also shows that you need to take that, it's important to also take that next step sometimes. It's important not just to see someone as they pass by you, but to see someone Say hi, and then maybe stop and talk to that person. Stop and consider that person. Stop and acknowledge that person. And through Otome constantly moving forward all the time, she bumps into these people. She bumps into all these cast members. She bumps into Don Underpants. She bumps into Hanuki. She bumps into... Higuchi, she bumps into like the old guys, all all these characters, but she doesn't, and she has escapades with some of them, but she doesn't stay around. She moves, hits, and then keeps moving through, and th that kind of like vagabond lifestyle leads you to just never seeing what you might have missed. And I, to give you a less depressing story, a couple less depressing stories, actually, I've traveled a lot. I've been all over the world to a bunch of different continents. But two of my favorite stories are one, I was in Marrakesh in Morocco. I was standing on a street corner, and a guy comes around driving a donkey cart. He holds his hand out, and I hold his hand out, and I high-fived a totally random stranger <laughs> in Morocco, just on the corner of the street, just kept on moving. It made both of our freaking days. It was great. I also, in Morocco, in Morocco, on a train, ran into this girl who was studying, like, hospitality, who was going to study hospitality in France, 
who is the daughter of a Middle Eastern um, politician. And we listened to Imagine Dragons as we stared at the flowing, at the world flowing by us in the train. Those are two astoundingly human stories. Another one is I decided to go dancing in Barcelona. Um, now Barcelona is a really weird, it's a really, it's a really weird night city because it's a city that is both happening enough to have, like, I ended up at Fashion Night Barcelona when this happened. It's happening enough to have that, but it's also seedy enough where at the beginning of the night, there are, like, hordes of prostitutes. Like, vats of them that you have to make it through to, like, get to where you're going. God forbid you want to be an irresponsible 20-something on the beach at night in a country that is far too far away from your from your house to be considered to be safe on a night beach stroll. You've got to go through some prostitutes. But I, w- I went into, like, a dance club because I wanted to go dancing. And I had a dance-off with some random sp- Spanish guy. We didn't say a word. We, like, had the dance-off, did the, like, high-five, like, chest-thump, and then, like, I peaced out, he peaced out. It was the best, and it was this, like, genuine... It was another genuine human moment. I can't imagine most of the stories that I just told you, with the exception of a couple, happening in America. Because in America, if you're on a if you're on a long distance train ride, what do you do? You take out your headphones, or you take out your iPad, and you mind your own business. I mean, hell. If you're on a short distance train ride to do that. I I have a friend, a friend who I went to go see this movie with. If you're listening, you know who you are. She gets on a train. She gets on a subway with another person. And she reaches into her bag. And she pulls out a book. She starts to read like nobody's there. <laughs> I yelled at her one time. Like, what are you doing? What, 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 I, I'm right here. I didn't evaporate the second I hit the, tr- the border of the train air conditioning. I'm still a human. Come on. And, like, that's, that's a ridiculous thing. That's a ridiculous demonstration of that. But it, it shows that sometimes that kind of individualism that America ha- that people gain when they become American, when they live in America, cause you to shut the world around you off. And that's true of Otome. She is really individualistic and really positive thinking, but that causes her to ignore so much of the world around her that... Not because it doesn't support her worldview, but just because she doesn't see it. Because she's going forward so quickly that it just passes right by her. And so, Ratatan says, you know, like, there's someone way more lonely than me, than anybody else in this giant storm. And by now, because it, not only is everybody sick, but this massive typhoon blowing through uh, Kyoto and she rises I have to go see Senpai and the way that they do this is comical because it's not it's not thought through in the movie until now but they start to, like, 
Havatome pieced together, like, almost pieced together everything that's happened. And she starts to, like, realize that her fe- that her feelings might be in the same place as his as she's struggling to get to his house. But he's struggling to hold on to his feelings for her because he's tried for so long to no avail. And just when they're almost gone, she gets there, basically. She gets there, and she gives him medicine, and she notices that she has the... They, he had the book Ratatam, and she realizes it's the one that she had when it was a kid. And they kind of fall for each other. Or she falls for him, and he's already fallen for her. But they essentially fall for each other at the same time, almost. It's a really, for lack of a better term, beautiful moment, and it has this slowness and this consideredness and this detail in the movie for the next for the last couple minutes of it that wasn't there before. This movie has this frantic pace and it's always it's always like a tome going forward at all costs. It's like what about this crazy shit? We don't have time to explain that. What about this crazy shit? We don't have time to explain that either. Here's another joke about pants. Okay. And then, for the last couple minutes where they've fallen for each other and, like, everything slowed down, the colors have kind of, like, are less zany and they have more life to them. Atome has gotten this, like, cardigan from one place and this coat from another place and this hat from another place. And for the first time in the movie, she looks... She has this warm look to her that she hadn't had before. And for the first time in the movie, Senpai had this, like, calm peacefulness to him that he hadn't had for the entire movie. And then at the end of the movie, they they end it on them going on a date. And both of them saying to themselves, and hopefully, you know, you hope to each other, I want to tell her about all these things I did, and then I want to hear about all the things she did, and I want to tell her about this my entire night, and I, I want to hear about their entire night. And it's this really beautiful, like, it's a really beautiful. It's this really beautiful start to what the is proposed to be a relationship. And it's just it's this movie is really weird, and you probably won't get to see it in theaters because it's really a super limited release, and it's like the day by the day you'll be hearing this is the is probably either the last day or the day after the last day that it's in theater. It's in theater for like three days. Uh, starting last Tuesday. Um, but it, it's a we- it's a big weird thing of a movie. But it it does everything to effect. And that's really what I liked about it. And that's really why I wanted to talk about it. Because in the middle of the movie, I was like, I don't know if I like this. This seems fucking insufferable. But it... It does that for a reason. It's... There are parts of the movie meant to set you up to understand the two main characters. the, The... true love story they are telling in this movie. And a large portion of the movie is devoted to making you understand where Atome is at. And there are other interspersed sections that make you understand where Senpai is at. And then at the end of the movie, 
they take both of those characters and they do the work to bring them closer together. And ultimately, they do the work to bring them together together in a way that is... that that makes you realize that both of them have grown. And a way that demonstrates to you and all the other and the other cast members of the movie of the movie itself both of these characters needed to grow in the way that they did and ultimately they do and that and because they grew they're both now in a place where they can really be together and it, so I'll probably do a show on this, a uh, uh, episode on this show, but there's a old Gynax show called His and Her Circumstances, or, or Carcano. And in Carcano, it's about two high schoolers, like, first relationship with each other. And they get, they start to get into it in the um, show, but they really get into it in the manga, and what they get into in the show, and, like, do a follow-through, do a pretty convincing follow-through on it, mostly in the manga, is after they've been together for a while, and after they've experienced this, like, burst of love, and this burst of, like, happiness, and they even cover, like, the fact that those two characters, in Kerakano, those two characters definitely sleep with each other after a certain point, and are, like, continue to sleep with each other after a certain point. You notice they kind of start to drift. And they start to be less of a cemented couple and more of just two people who are romantically involved, but they don't necessarily, they're not, like, they're not drifting apart. They're not necessarily drifting apart, but they're starting to drift away from each other. And there's this like this is melancholy to that to that whole thing. And in the um, in the in Caracano, they're like the both characters like even if we go to college and we drift apart and like. Blah, 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 it'll be okay. We'll always have our feelings for each other, blah, 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 blah. And that has a sad feeling to it. This, in The Night is Short, this, it's like Yuasa created the reverse of that, of the characters kind of slowly drift towards each other and together in a way that they were going through what they needed to go through to really be together and be solidly together and be okay. They, they got to be okay with themselves and then okay with each other and okay with the idea of being together before they were together. And it's, it's, It has this beautiful quality to it. And I haven't seen all of Tatami Galaxy, so I don't know how it ends. But I've seen part of it, and I know kind of the middle of it. But, um... In Devilman Crybaby, and I realize that this is probably because of the source material... There's an emptiness at the end of that that makes me just like... It's the same kind of emptiness that's at the end of Evangelion, in the in the like very end of Evangelion, and that's just not that's not ever what I've ever really been after out of show out of shows out of all of that shit. I, if I want to, I want to think that nothing really matters, man. 
you can look at the real world for that bullshit right now. I mean, the real world's kind of messed up. I can really appreciate someone who takes pains and takes effort to show you that something does matter, to show you two people finally completely facing each other and acknowledging each other on the same playing field. And that's really why I think this movie is so great, because that's exactly what it does. It forces two people who have always kind of seen each other to acknowledge each other as three-dimensional real people. I think that uh, we could all do to do that with other people in our lives. Or do that with at least one other person in our lives. I'm not saying, like, to do that for absolutely everybody. Although, you should think about it for, on the in the case of absolutely everybody. But you should do that with at least one other person in, in, in your life. Because it's important. And it, it, it is a possibility you'll forget how to do it. On that note... I have been Alex, and you've been listening to Lunchbox Radio. I, if you like this episode of the podcast, you can subscribe to the entire podcast in iTunes. Shut up, Echo. Um, <laughs> that's my that's my Amazon Alexa. Um, but you can subscribe to this po- podcast on your podcast app of choice, including the ones that play on the Amazon Alexa. Um, you can follow me on Twitter at Alex Holt Cohan. I unfortunately will not be releasing any of the panels I did this year on this feed because I forgot to record them because I was a little frantic. Yeah, yeah. But, um, you, I come out with new episodes every week, so if you like, if you like people, a, a dude on the internet talking about anime, then I'm kind of doing that once a week, every week. Um, and thank you again for listening. Thanks everybody for coming out to both my panels. Uh, they were a lot of fun. And I will talk to you next time. It's a